Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey friends, welcome back to the Tennis in Vegas podcast, a uh, podcast about everything tennis from a recreational to pro, and uh, we're back this week, and we're going to talk about a little bit of what happened this past week in uh, Vienna in uh, North Sultan, I think that's how you say it, and we're going to be just chatting a bit about the Paris draw, which, yeah, Vansh, do you want to give us an idea maybe of like what happened, maybe a recap <laughs> of uh, Vienna right now? Sure. Yeah. Firstly, Andre, yeah, it's great to be back here on the podcast. Um, I'm enjoying these weekly shows, uh, I must say. And uh, yeah, a lot to get into this, a lot to get into this week. This time of the year is usually pretty strange, I guess, um, because these tournaments aren't essentially leading to anything, yeah. you know, like they're, they're, they're the end of the season and we have a lot of wacky surprises a lot of the, a lot yeah. of the years, I guess this, and the players are usually pretty fatigued. And so we see a lot of players, top players, pull out of events, or maybe prioritize uh, getting ready for you know the off season and then getting ready for the next year. But this year we've had such few tennis, so um, any anytime we have a, a stacked field like we had this week in in Vienna, where seven top ten players played the tournament, and uh, you know, so we did not expect a Sonego versus Rublev yeah. final that we ended up getting, but I think it was it was a really fun week. Um, really fun week overall, I guess. The main thing that jumps, the main storyline that would jump out right to me uh, about Vienna was that Novak Djokovic was finally playing this tournament after 13 years. He'd won this tournament in 2007, yeah. beating Stan Wawrinka in the final. And he accepted a late wildcard into this tournament, knowing all too well that um, he won't be able to gain any new ranking points in Paris, given that he'd won this tournament last year, the way this ranking system works in 2020, it uh, doesn't penalize any players for um, yeah. not being able to make Dropping out of the tournament. New, new, new tournaments. So he wouldn't have had to defend uh, any of those mm. points. So if you had good results last year, that really favors your ranking. So um, he plays this tournament and he has a, he needs to win two more matches to get to year end number one. And this was assuming that Rafa Nadal doesn't take a late wild card into Sofia, which is an ATP 250 um, post Paris Masters, which he, it's very very unlikely he would mm -hmm. do that. So uh, we we got to see Djokovic battle through his first two rounds, you know, relatively comfortably, a tight set in both the both those encounters against Krajinovic and Chorich. They were both great yeah. matches, but uh, both good players too. You know, no, it's not like uh, they were yeah. walking the parks. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, very very good. Players, they both made a Masters 1000 final before, Krajinovic in Paris and uh, Chorich making the Shanghai Krajinovic finals. Krajinovic made a final in Paris? 
Yeah, this was uh, back in 2017. We had a Krajinovic versus John Esner Paris Masters oh, final. Oh yeah, I, can you believe I, that? Yeah, it's like it's Paris is an yeah. interesting tournament because it's kind of it is. It looks like it looks as it though it's nobody and really it, wants it for whatever reason. And yeah. it was both players taking advantage of uh, seeds losing early yeah. and really capitalizing and playing some of their best ever tennis but which basically um, means that you know and Krajinovic basically means that Isner has two Masters 1000s um no uh, Isner has made several Masters 1000 finals oh you know what actually um I think I I think I may have messed okay. up so Krajinovic played Jack, Jack Sock and the um, Jack Sock in the Paris okay, Masters final Sock won that, that in final. 2017 and Krajinovic actually beat Isner but that was in the semifinals oh, I see. because I was like I'm pretty so, sure Isner only Sock. has one uh, Masters 1000 win. Right, and, right. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Isner only has one, and that's that was in Miami in yeah. 2018. But uh, this was a Krajinovic versus Sock final, and Sock, if you remember, ended up um, qualifying for yeah. the ATP finals. He was ranked 24. He made it the finals, the I believe, tournament. right? Lost to? Yeah, uh, he lost to yeah. Dimitrov in the yeah. semifinals, yeah, actually. Semifinals. So he got out of his round, round robin stage, and he was riding that wave, and then... Uh, and then know, disappeared ever since. in the world, <laughs> and then and then basically disappeared. Yeah. But that's a topic for yeah. another day, I guess. Um, yeah. So I mean, Djokovic inevitably ended up winning both those matches, and he was actually, if the seeds held up, he was supposed to play Diego Schwartzman in the quarterfinals. Schwartzman had a right shoulder injury, so he put he had pulled out. So this gave way for a lucky yeah. loser, as you know how they do the draws, and so the lucky loser was an, an Italian by the name of Lorenzo Sanego. 42 in the world uh, from Italy, 25 years of age. He's been around the scene for a while. Um, uh, he's won a title uh, in Italia uh, on grass before Wimbledon in 2019. So it's not like he's a nobody. I mean, he's done some, he's made some noise before he made the fourth round of Roland Garros mm. this year. So he's had some good results, but, uh, you know, no one would have expected him to even challenge yeah. Novak. Like, I mean, hardcore and, indoor, you know, guess, Novak has a big history indoors right. as well. So, yeah. Exactly, and Lorenzo was more is more known for being a good clay court player, you know, and he had never had any prolific wins on hard court, never beaten a top ten player, had lost, um, you know, like ten matches in a row against top forty players on on the yeah, surface. He, he could so, be qualified as like a solid top thirty player, you would say. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And you watch him play. I mean, he has a he has he has great serve. He has a great forehand. He um, he does everything pretty well. Moves exceptionally well. Uh, covers the court uh, beautifully. He can throw in some. He has a fantastic forehand drop shot. Can come to the net. So he's got he's got all the tools. But for him to put that together, the performance that he did against Novak was exceptional. I guess we should look at it from two standpoints. I'll talk about what Sanego did really yeah. well first, which was get off to a really really quick start. He could sense early that Novak was not himself. Yeah. That Novak was maybe emotionally a little bit worn out from this massive achievement of getting to the sixth year-end number one, which is tying Pete Sampras uh, yeah. for doing that. And he basically clinched it by getting to the quarterfinals. Yeah. And that's what he came out to do. He said that, you know, this is my goal. My, my two biggest goals in my career right now are most major titles. Most and, weeks at number one. Uh, most yeah. weeks at number yeah. one. And the sixth year and number one was a huge motivation for him. And as you know, in anything you do in life, really, I mean, I can relate to Djokovic here too, is that, you know, you achieve that big high of doing something that you've set your goal out, goals out to. I think he's a very goal-oriented person. Mm. And he's very honest yeah. about it. And I like he's very honest about it. I love that he doesn't shy away from saying, you know, yeah, this is why I still play. You know, this is yeah. my main two motivations. 
because we know we know everybody is thinking that you know they're we know that they're thinking about history and they know everything that's yeah. online. I mean, you it's know? interesting. So, so I'm glad. Yeah, it's that. interesting to put it that way because, like, uh, if you're, if you're just like riding the Djokovic number one wave instead of like a uh, Vienna right now, so like a uh, uh, Djokovic. Yeah, you can you can sort of have two ways of looking at a career. Uh, if you're if you're in in the in the um in the level of big three and Mindy Murray, even Stan Wawrinka, you can look at it as a I'm just gonna play like Federer says, I'm playing for love, and Rafa also does it mm-hmm. in, a, in a sense is I just want to get better and play every match like uh, like it's my last and like trying to win it. Right. Or you can just kind of like look at it in the sense like, hey, look, I know that I can win, and I won records. So like. And I feel like yeah. it's it's just completely valid uh, way to look at it in in that way because you can set yourself a goal, yes. and once you reach that goal, like his goal is maybe not to win, maybe not at an, at another title. He was focused really on the the number one. So he goes to these matches exactly. and he goes to face Sonego or Sonego. I don't know how, exactly how to pronounce it, but yeah, um, Sonego. And he may not have. He just probably never set his his mind in another goal after that match, which is. Something that granted maybe he needs to like address in his own play. I feel like he could maybe have made another effort for it, but um, yeah, yeah. I you know on that. I yeah. mean, I guess there's there were two things that came out. So I, I feel like he had a very slow start, and then he loses that first set, and you're kind of looking for that spark, yeah. right? Every time you see Djokovic play, you're looking for that moment where it can change on a dime, right? Where he can suddenly dial in, he can get a lot of great returns, and then suddenly, next thing you know. His opponent, you would think Sonego would become human and suddenly, you know, start realizing what he's on the verge of accomplishing, and it never really happened. Like you know, Djokovic had six breakback points in that second set, and you thought, okay, maybe if he gets one of these breaks back, you know, we could have a real match here, and it and it can turn, and maybe you know, then in Djokovic-like fashion, he would then Mm. win it, come back from a set down, but then. Uh, Sonego served really well in those break points and just completely crushed yeah. Novak's spirit. And the last three, four games of the match, if I'm being completely honest, I think he completely really just had no intention of wanting to yeah. come back or even, you know, attempting, you know, he, if you notice, he was going very, very quickly in between the mm-hmm. points. He was just saying, okay, here, ball boy, give me the yeah. ball quickly. I'm going to serve. And Djokovic never yeah. does that. He always takes his time. He at least goes and grabs the towel. He at least. He gets in his ball bouncing mode, you know. At least, at least yeah, a few his head was not in the match. That's for sure. Yeah, and it, it just feel it just felt yeah. like he, you know, had just lost all the the defiance that, yeah. you know, that we're so used to accustomed yeah. to him having, and so he loses that, and he starts serving and volleying and second serves, and so you're kind of thinking this is a kind of a questionable effort. I guess that's okay. To, that's reasonable to to draw that conclusion, but what I didn't like was the hate and the tribalism that i saw on social mm. media um afterwards when a few journalists put out a quote that he said after the match which was that you know i came to vienna and i accomplished what i had to do and i'm happy about what i achieved and now here now i'm just i'm going to move on to london this is easy for me to mm. to uh you know get rid of in my mind but what they didn't quote was so if you just look at that quote in isolation, you're probably thinking, wow, that's extremely disrespectful to the tournament who gave you a wild card. That's disrespectful to the yeah. crowd. That's disrespectful to your opponent because you're not giving him any credit for for playing the match of his mm. life. And you look like a complete sore loser by you know making an excuse and uh, and then just just leaving and being selfish. 
And when that is absolutely not at all what Novak meant, I can tell you that 100%. Because if you go and you read his transcript and you read the news, he specifically gave credit to Sadego early in the and was extremely gracious in defeat. And then when he was pressed for more questions about his level, that's when he then made those mm. comments. So the lesson here is that don't just read the headlines of an article and don't just go by the clickbait journalism, um, which is which is what journalists do. They put out they put out a headline, they gra- grab the reader's attention, and they make you uh, and they make uh, everyone else have a, a division in mm. opinion. You know that's the goal of. That's the goal well, of journalism guess, to get more eyeballs yeah, on their pieces. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, the, their goal is and, definitely to just get more, um, just not clickbait, but like just attract people right, to read yeah. whatever they said. It's a, it's a little it's a little lame in a sense, but in in every regard, I guess in in a sense is just questioning in a sense, um, really just how oriented he is to to everything. And I, I think it's a valid discussion in a sense. Uh, but it's it's I think it's at this point I just came to expect that uh people. Well, and not only for Djokovic as well, just like for everybody else, Nadal and Federer as well, just that there will be a level of hate no matter what they do and what, no matter what they say. Right. And I feel like it's it's fine. Like, um, let's just move on to the next week, next tournament, and things are going to be all yeah, right, I exactly. find. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, so I guess we we were talking about the the, the magnitude of what, of what Senego achieved. Going back to Senego, I think um, this was a massive achievement in terms of records. Uh, or length of time um, in Djokovic's career that he suffered a loss uh, of this magnitude because the last time he only won three games in a single match that he's played on the ATP World Tour was in 2005 when he was essentially a baby playing against Murat Safin in the first round and Safin ended up winning the title. Mm. So this was a pretty uh, jarring loss from that standpoint. And I think Djokovic will move on. He's got a good head on his shoulders and he'll be he'll be set for for London and he'll be primed to do well there. So I think there's um that was my main takeaway from from that from from the loss. Um I guess Sonego did extremely well backing that Djokovic uh win up because I thought he may have a letdown uh in the following in the following round but he proved me completely wrong. He ended up winning his semifinal um, I think it was six three six four. He ended up winning, and he beat he beat Dan Evans in the in the semis. Who, yeah. you know, is a completely different player to Novak, and will really make you work. Um, in terms of, he's not going to give you many cheap points. You got to earn everything, and yeah. generate all the pace. And he was coming in hot too. It's not like a, a Djokovic who are seeking like a different goal. Daniel Evans, I believe he's also in the in the no titles. Yeah, list. he's also um, not not won any titles. But he's extremely. Yeah. He's had an extremely good year, having loads of top twenty wins. He just made a semifinal um, last week um, at at the ATP two hundred and fifty in Antwerp, and so yeah. he's had he's had some great results. He beat Dimitrov in a fantastic quarterfinal. Yeah, so, so he probably looked at that as like a some sort of like an opportunity for himself to try and get to the yeah, final. Yeah, I mean it was a great opportunity for both for both players, and Sonego took full advantage and yeah. full credit to him. So he he made what was supposed to be a uh, a loss in a qualifying he turned that into a and turned that into an eventual loss to rublev in the final, in the final. and i yeah. guess in the final it was just a, it was just that sonego was rushed because andre rublev what he does so well is he gets on that baseline and absolutely rips the ball off both wings and takes it extremely early so you feel as an opponent you have no time to even react and 
and get yourself set in the match. And Rublev is extremely, extremely match tough right now. He's won 15 matches in a row. He's this is his fifth title of the season. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. He's now won three ATP 500s on back yeah. to back to back. And you know, this week, I guess it was a little bit of a strange week for him because you know, Andre, three out of the five players he played this week were actually either either injured or they withdrew the <laughs> match. <laughs> Which yeah, is crazy. It was just his first round and his final where his where he was able to play a full completed match against a fit opponent, right? Because in the semifinals he played yeah. Kevin Anderson. Kevin Anderson was yeah. hurt. Yeah, which is inter- interestingly enough, it, it's not like this. This um, not that not that like a, a three um, like three straight matches you you get like a walkover yeah. or a retirement, but like. It's a very common thing in the end it of the is. year that like at least you meet at least like one player oh, who's injured and so common. I don't know. So yeah. it's it's interesting that even with the, the the pandemic and the lockdowns and the major stop that for like whatever five mm. months, even still that there are injured players who are you know retiring mid match too. So yeah. this this could be an interesting um an interesting insight for the rest of the season for Paris and in London. Who knows? Maybe there will still be some retirements uh, before the the years over. Yeah, I mean, and some big names too. I mean, it's not like they're there's there's small names. I mean, Anderson was playing some of his best tennis again, so that was sad to see. And Dominic Team, who he played in the quarterfinals, um, he ended up winning that after a tough first set tiebreaker. Dominic actually injured his foot, and he's pulled out of Paris now. Uh, you know, citing yeah. blisters on his feet, so he's. Uh, that's a tough loss for him because team was also in the race to finish the year number two. He's had a great season in majors and winning his first Grand Slam. So I think uh, overall it was a very, very solid week for Rublev. I guess my main takeaway is I haven't learned that much more than what I already knew about Rublev. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I know he's red hot. He's won the most matches of anybody in the season, tied with Djokovic at 39 wins and five titles i mean that's incredible he's performing extremely extremely well against players he should be beating right he's winning atp 500 atp 250s now the next level for him is to how can he do against the top eight players in the world he's now secured a spot that's at true. london yeah. how does he do when the stakes are extremely high in a masters 1000 in the grand slams where he's now he's played three slams this year but he's lost to all three times to players ranked higher than him uh, you know comprehensively yeah. So I'm curious to see whether he makes any adjustments in his game, whether he needs to, whether he even needs to add more variety. Yeah, yeah seriously, I do, I do think he right. does because, like, even as you you mentioned quite quite often, and we talked about this as well, like, that he he's a player who has a very single yeah, one dimension, like a, a very single style, like a very one dimensional style in a sense. He, he just hits the ball and he hits through it. He moves fast and he hits fa- he's hard and takes the ball early but that that's kind of about it it's not that it's easy to read he executes that really yeah. really well but if he if he wants to play the, the likes of Djokovic or Nadal or even Medvedev yeah. and team exactly. um he will need to like add a couple more shots to his uh to his arsenal add some more variety because at some point they they're just gonna outplay mm-hmm. him in terms of what the things that they can do they can adjust their their game to their opponents more easily than he can and he's just going to be frustrated as he he was against uh, Medvedev, yeah, exactly. I believe. Um, so it's it's uh, it's it's just going to be the thing of he may win the match, but it's going to be probably like a one out of three, one out of five matches that he's completely. Gonna win I could not them. agree more yeah. with you, and that's yeah. we've yeah. seen that evidence over and over again. I think what separates him, though, the reason his one dimension works so well, I think, is also if you stretch him out to the corners. He can accelerate. He has such good racket head acceleration and speed. 
that even when you push him out really, really far wide, you know, most players would go toward mm. go towards a, uh, a squash shot, right, or a slice or a defensive play to get back in the middle or maybe, you know, just buy back some time, hit a high loopy ball. He doesn't. I mean, he just goes full in, just crushes, puts his entire weight in the into the shot at full uh, at full width when he's stretched out full width. And so I think he's able to always, always stay on attack. And, but I don't mm. know, you know, like you said, against someone like a Medvedev who has more options in his game, or even even someone like an Alexander Zverev who beat him pretty handily at the Australian Open, and I believe has never lost to yeah. him. And obviously against the big three, I mean, it's just not. It just to be able to sustain that for level for three out of five sets, you need to have a plan B at some point yeah. that you can go to. And I think he's going to work yeah. on that. I, I really believe he's he can get to that next level in the next couple of years, but it will take time. I don't think. Yeah, I'm I'm assuming that like he if I haven't really seen much in terms of the touch. Yeah. The, he, I don't know if he has much of that, but like we have to see in terms of his right. neck game and uh, uh, just touch for like uh, drop shots and like a. Uh, lobs and defensive play i think that's that's when it's gonna come and with players that can challenge him on that i think like in terms of um i think london even paris maybe london more more than paris i would say well is going to be the place where you're going to be watching so okay so what can rublev Mm. do against people who can actually challenge him who can be actually better yeah i mean can he you know can he can he can he raise his level yeah yeah and can he change can he make adjustments can he have a a different look on you know a shot yeah, or two that's that's going that's so important yeah. for any player to get to the next level and ultimately ultimately win majors and win these big titles so the, yeah mm-hmm. i mean that'll be interesting to see you're right i haven't seen much touch i haven't seen uh, you know there's plenty of times where he hits the ball so big he could easily come in and just knock a volley but uh, you, know, true, you know yeah. i think he's comfortable from from the baseline he's just in playing within his comfort zone right now so yeah. um, you know don't change anything if it's not broken, but um, we'll yeah. see if that actually applies when he plays the top eight players in the world. Well, the thing is, like, they're probably yeah. going to break it. That's, so that's, that's the thing. That's going to be interesting. How does he... Yeah. And then what? how is he going to back this up next season, too? Because that's now three Russians that have yeah. done really well three years in a row. Hatchinov had his breakthrough in 2018 mm. and hasn't really backed it up since. Medvedev had a miraculous that's season... True last year a magical summer and he's you know never not been able to find that level again this year still been a top still been playing at top 10 level but you know nowhere near what he was playing last year so it's going to be interesting yeah. to see if if rublev can sort of break that trend in 2021 mm. but nonetheless yeah. great week for him and he's a great fun player to watch and i think uh, a very popular player as well yeah, yeah, I really like his game style. And I think it's something that I actually like to watch as well, just players who are aggressive yeah. and just hit the ball hard. I think it's just fun to watch in terms of uh, the, the entertainment level. I think he can bring it even even when he right, loses. exactly. So that's, that's, that's a fun thing and to see. I guess the last so, thing I'll yeah. say is that he the weakness in his game always had been the second serve. It was very predictable. It was always mm. very central in the court. He couldn't get it at over 80 miles per hour. And so players who could attack that, I mean, you were comfortable against him. On when he was missing for yeah. serves, now he's added a lot more um, pace on that shot, and he doesn't without double faulting. He's going pretty big on the on the second serves, and he's mixing up his location better. So he's and he's and he's ultimately he's going to get stronger, right? Because right now he doesn't quite have the physique of some of the top guys, right? He's still a quite uh, young in the sense he hasn't grown fully yet. So it'll be interesting to see if he bulks mm-hmm. up and adds some more muscle and 
some more strength, you know, then he'll be able to. I mean, it's scary actually how good he'll be if he adds those dimensions, because he's already eight in the yeah. world with just one extremely uh, aggressive game. So, mm. yeah, yeah. I guess we should probably talk about uh, John yeah. Millman. Yeah, let's. Yeah, yeah. On the, uh, I was gonna say on other news, John Millman finally breaks uh, <laughs> his, you know, <laughs> breaks the spell and just makes it makes it to his yeah. first title. So he just tweeted a couple couple days ago that he was one of the best players on tour who had never won Correct. a title, and uh, yeah, now he doesn't qualify for that anymore. <laughs> what do you have to say? Yeah, about it's it? I'm I'm super happy for him because um, you know he's been a guy who has really gone through all the ranks of tennis to get to where he is right now and gone through the tough grind in over 10, 11 years of professional tennis, you know, um, grinding through challengers, futures, getting, fighting for qualifying spots in masters tournaments, uh, you know, staying healthy. He's every time he's had some momentum, it's been snapped by injuries. And I think if Mm -hmm. you watch him play, it's a great, great lesson of, uh, perseverance and uh, really just just really just grinding through any challenge that you have in a match itself I mean he is he is the model for great work ethic kind of like a David Ferrer I think of him as you know just a workhorse and a workhorse who has who's, who's had some big wins in his career I mean he beat Federer two years ago at the US Open and yeah and he almost, and he almost did, did it again, again in 2020. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, even if Federer really was not nothing. at his best, it's still there's very very few players who can push him to that to that brink and you know almost wear him down physically the way Milman did. So it was that's yeah. that's very impressive. And then yeah, I mean he made two other ATP finals, and this was his third. So third time is the charm, I guess. And he was playing against Adrian Manorino, who's mm. quite proficient on indoor hard court, as you know he. Has some of his yeah. best results. And he's a titleist as well. He's, he's won a title yeah. before. It's not yeah. like he's yeah. He's not. It's not like he's not uh, experienced in this situation and yeah. this stage. He probably must. Uh, he must have felt that he had a chance as well against Milman, even though Milman is definitely playing really high level at this point. Sure. I felt like Man- Manorino is a tricky player. He has a good forehand, has good net game as well. It's it's lefty serve as well. Always a always a danger, and I I feel like Manorino kind of. Um, it just speaks a little bit about his career that his level is just a bit up and down uh, over the years. Sometimes he's really good, sometimes really not exactly the best player out there. And I feel like Millman just really outplayed him in the fact that he's just been consistent. And I think that's what matters to win titles is that you become a consistent player enough to um, you know play five matches, seven matches in a Grand Slam, and and just get to win it. Right. And, I don't think Milman's going to win a Grand Slam, by the way, but like I think he can maybe add another two or two yeah, or three titles. Yeah, I mean he's very solid at this. Very solid at this two fifty mm-hmm. level, and he's uh, and and this week actually we should mention in the quarterfinals he was down match points um, against Tommy Paul. Yeah. Tommy Paul served for them for the match and had two yeah. match points on his on his serve and couldn't close it out. And then they went to a third set tiebreaker, and Tommy Paul led five love. So for Milman to come back and win yeah. seven points in a row, and then. It doesn't get any easier because he's playing another American in Tiafo in the semifinals, and he's down a break in the final set. So he comes back from t- two matches that he should have lost. He's now in the finals, and yeah. so now he's kind of playing with house money a little bit, right? Because and he's playing like you, you mentioned Manorino. You described him extremely well, 
um, as somebody who's, yeah, I mean, been around for many, many years and is up and down in level, but he's had very good results at 250s in, on grass mm-hmm. and fast courts. He's a very good fast court player. This was, I think, his 10th yeah. final, and this was Millman's third. And now they both each have a title. So, I mean, Manorino yeah. is one for nine in finals, but uh, at least he ha- at least he has a title, right? So Millman didn't even have that going in, and now, uh, and today it was the same thing. He just grinded Manorino down, and he just had he just had more game than than Manorino did in the in the second set. And Millman does such mm-hmm. a great job of hitting every single ball cro- cross court. He's very patient, doesn't make many errors, extremely quick around the court, really solid backhand. I love his backhand, the way he can generate angle on both on both his wings, actually, the forehand as well. And he's uh, really improved parts of his game and returns very well. I think what holds him back, he doesn't quite uh, have a big enough serve, I think, to really do any, win mm. him free points or, uh, you know, not doesn't really have any major weapons. But I think, I think actually yeah. a best of five favors Millman a lot because he can... Yeah, because of the, one of his biggest assets is definitely just how exactly. physical he is. Kind of, it's almost like in a sense, like a like a, a player similar to what Thomas Muster yeah, used to be. Yeah, that's a good comparison. It's like a player who's just very physical, not really in anything special in how talented or like right. a powerful serve or forehand, but it's just can just run, he can run for, for hours for and hours. hours. And he yeah. he's like, yeah. yes, I've got you in a fifth set. I've got you in a fourth set. I've got you in a battle, and he relishes yeah. that battle. So I think that's a good mm-hmm. lesson for you for juniors. Um, yeah. And really, yeah. yeah, and a good lesson probably for Tiafo, exactly. who has kind of been failing to earn his his place. He's a good player, but like I feel like he could can definitely do more. I find like he's has a lot of promise in in that guy. I find yeah, uh, uh, just needs to maybe think a little bit better. <laughs> no, yeah. no, you're you're absolutely right. I think he has. I think he actually has a lot of yeah. options in his game. He has a lot of variety, and he doesn't quite know sometimes. Uh, how to play on certain big on certain points so i think that will come with experience Mm -hmm. it's hard to believe he's only 22 because it feels like he's been around um, a lot longer but i think what happens to a lot of young players is when you have a really big breakthrough early in your career so like he was really good 2017 2018 he was top 30 in the world sometimes they're not quite ready to make that next step right and now the now it's all the pressure's all thrown on them at the highest uh, expectation especially when you're in american tennis when you haven't had anybody you know, since Andy Roddick, that's done anything big apart from John Isner. But so that's a lot of pressure on somebody who's 19, 20 years old. And to manage those expectations is can be quite rough. So um, mm. I'm glad that at least now he's starting to make, starting to put together a lot of big wins. He's back in the top 60 now. And, you know, I mean, Francis can should be a top 30 player. I think that's his ceiling is yeah. right around there, like 20, 30 in the 20, 25 in the world. So it'll be interesting. He has a lot more time. He's only 22, but uh, it's a good lesson. Yeah. And Millman definitely teaches young, yeah. young gen. How- yeah, yeah, definitely good lessons. I think when you get to those to the level in this career, like 30s, like I feel like the it's been more common nowadays. I find mm-hmm. especially just essentially because of how they're just grown mentally stronger, more experienced. They know how to play the game better. There's like great examples in maybe Andy Murray, even the big yeah. three, Stan Wawrinka, who have all done exceptionally well uh, in the 30s maybe not so much murray i guess because of his hip yeah. but like uh you know he if he wasn't for that he would be winning True. just as much so yeah 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 and uh just another news as well next week um <laughs> let's uh yeah 
stop thinking about the past and uh, look at right. the future. And we have Paris now, Paris Bercy, the last Masters 1000 of the year in which, um, who's playing? Nadal right. is playing, I know about I know um, that much. So I think it's a similar yeah. kind of field actually to Vienna and like seven out of top 10 players are playing. Um, Djokovic will yeah. not be there. Um, as we discussed earlier. Djokovic team are not uh, there. But uh, I think the number two seed is Tsitsipas. So it goes Nadal, Tsitsipas, yeah, yes. and then Medvedev, Zverev, Rublev. And, and then I think, so the main thing is who's going to get that eighth spot for Ludwig? Because right now Rublev got, just got the seventh spot. So it's I guess it's a race mm. between Schwartzman and Berrettini right now. Yeah, I think Schwartzman is going to make it. If, yeah. he, if he's healthy, because he did uh, pull out with an injury, maybe, yeah. he's going, maybe it's going to come to haunt him at the very last stage of the season, which would be really sad for him because he put a lot of effort, pulled out a lot of good wins yeah, this year. I so. mean, I'm rooting for yeah. uh, Schwartzman. You know, I mean, I mean, not that I don't like Berrettini. I think Berrettini is fantastic. He's got a big serve, big forehand, yeah. and he could very well make it just because these are fast courts that, you know, if you have a serve and forehand like him, that's, that's enough um, to get over the line indoors. Mm. But, uh, but Schwartzman would be so good to see in yeah. uh, ATP finals you know always root for him for many many reasons yeah uh, especially like when was the last time a, a, somebody under 5 foot 8 actually made a actually made an ATP finals that's yeah. crazy he would be the first yeah especially as I'm thinking so, maybe David Ferrer but Ferrer was a 5 foot 9 I believe right yeah, yeah. So, so I mean yeah yeah I mean he's listed at 5 foot 7 and People, people I know on uh, who work for the ATP say he's even less than that. Like he, that's generous. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. so, he does look really tiny on court. Like his the racket looks really big in his yeah. hand. <laughs> like it's, it looks like is he is he uh, playing with a bigger head racket or something like this? No, it's just because he's, he's smaller than the average player. Yeah. Yeah, but I tell you, pound for pound, he hits the ball bigger than for anybody. For sure, he's got a big game, man. Like for a guy that tall, yeah. he's got a big game. <laughs> he can he can knock you off the court yeah. even with that. Play. And he's surprisingly good at the net too, which is fantastic to oh, see. Yeah. He's not afraid to come at the net, even though like there is a possibility that he gets lobbed, especially because of his size. But he he chooses his his shots really well to approach the net, and he finishes it off. He does finish the point really well at the net, so. He does. Yeah, major props to him. <laughs> he, he makes a big, big time for not having a, 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 a good, a good chance at even having a good serve. Yeah. So, so I guess I guess we should look at the look at maybe this is a draw briefly. Like what what jumps out to me? Obviously, Nadal, the number one seed, he's never won this tournament before. I think he's quite hungry to go deep, and you know, on paper, should be the favorite, even indoor hardcore. But the caveat is that it's indoor hardcore. So I think the other the field knows that that it's not his, it's not his best yeah. surface and he's not had the maybe the best results this time of year. But like we mentioned before, this is a different this is twenty twenty is different yeah. because he's coming into this completely fresh and um, no injury whatsoever. And it looks like he has a pretty comfortable draw. He starts out against Krajinovic and Lopez, and I actually think that's probably his toughest match until the quarters. Yeah. It's it definitely is like, it, that was the thing that jumped out to me. It's like the the draw is pretty packed at the second half. Yeah, and uh, just Nadal has not that he's a he's a he's a free pass to the final or anything, but that uh, people who who are in this draw are Vavrinka and um, is, is Zverev. So all those players are like yeah. Vavrinka is a player who has struggled maybe with injury. Is not really been having the 
greatest season uh, up, to, up to now. And Zverev right. is, is, is a player who's good, but it's Nadal. It's, he's not going to get as many chances as he gets with other people. Uh, he, right. he, can, he can get too be... pushy and Nadal's not the type of player. So he needs to, to bring his A game to, to that match. And so does Vavrinka. And even still, yeah. Yeah, I mean Zverev. I guess Zverev, if he gets there, that'll be interesting. Yeah. I, you know, to see a Zverev Nadal semifinal. Yeah. The the thing with Zverev is right now he's having to deal with a lot of off court issues, <laughs> and so we don't know if that'll affect his tennis. And uh, so that'll that'll be interesting. He's coming off of two titles. He's playing some of his best tennis of the year, but he's also dealing with off court yeah. uh, issues. So I mean, his draw is good, I guess. To make it i mean he's got uh the first round matches some of them are really good like there's uh Wawrinka against dan evans yeah that's always yeah. fun right hugo gaston yeah he's made there the fourth I saw him. and he's actually there he's playing against pablo karani yeah. so that'll be fun yeah. and so they, these are just like early first round matches like chillage against felix Ogier, yeah that's seen? that's crazy oh yeah that's really sad for felix i'd don't know if he can make it yeah. past Chilich. I think Chilich is just going to outmaneuver we'll him because of experience. It's going to let him make the mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think so. But I don't think Chilich is anywhere near what he used to yeah. be, and quite frankly, is and on serious decline. It's so true. I guess that's a fifty-fifty match. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, so yeah, I mean, if I were to predict, barring any kind of crazy upset, you know, I would think nadal would get to the final yeah so how so in then, terms of uh vavrinka in uh and and evans who do you think is going to win that one um interesting match the they've played each other a few times and vavrinka's saved match points against both evans and uh, against both both times he's played evans they played uh, at the u.s open in 2016 the year that stan actually won mm -hmm. and People forget, but in the third round, Evans had two match points. And so he came through that. And then they played a couple of weeks ago in St. Petersburg, and same thing. Evans had match points, yeah. but Stan ended up winning. The, the problem with Stan right now is he can get through one or two big wins, and then he just doesn't quite have the consistency. He kind of has one big result, and then he takes a step back again. Yeah. So um, even if he gets through Evans, I'm not so sure this time of the season i'm not so sure if he's gonna have any kind of a breakthrough yeah. he usually has a very poor record in masters 1000s for somebody who's won three slams it's still very shocking to me that he's only won monte carlo that's it so um yeah i i would back stan um over dan evans mm -hmm. yeah just because he has i think he just has more in his game and he has a higher ceiling and if he can find that next gear then There's not much Evans can do about yeah. it. Yeah, it's true. I think it's. I, so, I do think it's going to be Vavrinka, but in, I think it's going to go into three sets. I don't know if it's going to be a straight set. Yeah, yeah, I think it will go three sets mm. too. I, I think it has three sets written all over it, actually. Yeah. But uh, Rublev, I mean, Rublev is in that section with Zverev mm. and Vavrinka as well. So it'll be interesting if, if uh, Rublev maybe has an early loss this year or something just uh, for the first time. He's played so many matches. True. So. If uh, if Rublev loses early, he'll have some more time to rest for London. Yeah. Unless and, he can uh, pull off a Federer and just yeah. win three titles back to back to back. <laughs> yeah, I mean the good thing for him is his week this week wasn't very physical, right? Because yeah. we just mentioned that three of his 
five matches were, you know, it's like a, um, unfinished matches in a sense. Yeah. True. So I, I mean, I don't know um, really how this draw will shape up, mm. but but uh, you know, same thing with like Sitsipas. Sitsipas is coming in with some question marks too about fitness. Yeah. You know, since the French Open, he's been struggling with a leg injury. Yeah. And that was noticeable when he played against Dimitrov. Mm-hmm. And Dimitrov also made the semifinal of Paris last last year. So, I mean, he you just don't know what to expect from week to week. Yeah. Oh, I think Dimitrov is actually pulled out. Never mind. Dimitrov is pulled out. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we could, I think either Nadal wins or we have a new champion. Let's just leave yeah, it at that. Man, I don't, I don't know what's the level of effort that Nadal is going to pull in, in Paris, even though I don't think the level of effort that he needs to put it's is is that great, but I I'm really thinking that he chose um, Paris over Vienna in a sense just to try and to because it's a Masters 1000 and he never wanted he probably wanted to like put himself in a bigger level of matches before London. Um, of course, it's Nadal, so he treats it like a like a tournament on its own world. He doesn't treat it as like a preparation tournament or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you're never going to get an emotional letdown for him with him. I mean, he's just he just knows one way, which is fight for every yeah. ball, like it's match point. Mm-hmm. So I think in terms of him giving his absolute hundred percent effort, there's zero question he'll do yeah. that. It's just it's just a matter of whether he you know whether he can i think he's going to be trying something new too eh? that's the thing yeah whether he can get through without somebody you know maybe playing their match of match of their life and serving him off the court like on a quick court but you know other than that i mean he's i i think he did well by playing this tournament because like you said he's never won paris before he's also if he wins this he'll tie djokovic for most masters 1000 titles there's that race too there's, there's plenty of incentive. I mean, and win his first like, indoor he, court title too. Eh? <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's big. I mean, if you haven't won a title before and you're, you know, like it's it's surprising he's never won Paris Masters, even though he's indoors is his worst surface. That's a title he hasn't won. Yeah. So, and this is a good opportunity. Yeah. I mean, Djokovic isn't there. So, and then the ATP Finals too. He's never won that. So, yeah, the, you know, there's massive impl- massive implications. You want to win every single tournament. You uh, you enter, otherwise don't enter. Right? Yeah. And 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 you know, I mean, he could have easily just said, "I'll I'll just skip the rest of the year and train in Australia," and I'm comfortable with that. But if you're not injured, yeah, uh, you know, you should play it because more matches under your belt that could also help him for confidence for Australia. Yeah. The off season isn't very long yeah. either. So. Yeah, I think I, I think mean, in terms of. Uh... Paris, uh, he's never won a, a, an indoor court title. I think it's going to be like probably his his best chance ever. And as you said, like it's I don't I don't think it's that surprising honestly that he's never won a title at that stage of the year. He's normally quite beat yeah. up uh, because yeah. of his his game style and there's drawbacks in like giving a hundred percent to every match that you play. Um, it's you cannot just run all year long like this and. We've seen the results in his career, so many injuries, um, that um, you can attribute that definitely to his game style. As people were saying that he was going to retire, we got lucky that he didn't, and he's he has got lucky that he could still rise to the highest level of the game. Well, yeah. But it, he still has had have to dealt um, has had to dealt with a lot of injuries in his career, 
Uh, partly one of the reasons that he couldn't maintain uh, as many weeks as world number one, only at a hundred and something weeks. Um, so yeah, two hundred nine actually. So he's, he's about a hundred behind Federer. But I mean, I mean, you speak about that, but what's impressed me is yeah, how he's managed to prove everyone wrong. Like with his longevity, he's now realized that he can take time off in seasons. Yeah, and essentially skip whole stretches of tur- tournaments and come back and work his way into draws. Yeah which is something he wouldn't have believed you know two or three years yeah. ago and that's a testament to nadal that he's adapted and he's changed his game around to where now he's much more less likely to get into long physical matches early in tournaments he's really dictating like off the first ball yeah and he's much more aggressive and you know less willing to defend too because you know i don't think he's as as good defensively as he was oh yeah 10 years and ago. that's that's but he's but overall he's a more complete yeah, player but, but that's, that's the think? thing too like in terms of winning the the tournaments at the end of the season he was never really uh fully fit for those and that's probably one of the first yeah. times in his career that he is and it exactly. could be even like a big a big change in his um in his career at the end of the day like when he retires Maybe he's going to Correct. be able to stretch his game further into um, the finals and the ATP finals. And if he wins here this year uh, in, at, at, the, at the finals, who knows? Maybe he could do it even another time before the end yeah. of uh, before he retires. And I, I fully think this is possible. If as he as you said, like he does take time uh, off and skips seasons and skips tournaments uh, more often. And you know, try to get involved in less physical matches, which he's already doing. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah. So moving on to the yeah. uh, to the the predictions table. I guess. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I mean, last thing before is that he's come close before. I mean, two thousand seven, he got to the final of Paris. That's the only final he's ever made. And you know, in that tournament, it took something absolutely magical. <laughs> that David Nalbandian beat. Uh, Roger Federer in the quarters, Novak Djokovic in the semis, Nadal in the finals. This is Madrid, right? You're right, you're right. It was Madrid. And then Djokovic in yeah, the semis and Federer, Federer in the finals. finals. And then he did win Madrid. Then he didn't win, win Paris as well. Yeah. And but let's not forget also that Nadal also made a final in the ATP finals once. Um and he twice. Twenty ten yeah. and twenty thirteen. Yeah. Twenty ten lost to Federer. Twenty thirteen lost to Djokovic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His two biggest rivals. So. Just fitting. So, um, who do you think is going to make the, the finals, and how do you predict that match to go <laughs> and the winner as well? <laughs> uh, I will go with Rafa Nadal to get to the final. And I have no idea who he's going to play. I will go with <laughs> someone who's never been in a Masters final before. So the only player in this oh, draw really? who's actually won the Paris Masters is Har- Karen Hatchinoff, who won it in 2018. Everyone huh. else has never made even made a final. It's never. That's crazy. So it's almost, it's pretty much guaranteed there's going to be a new winner. Yeah. This I, I mean, it's possible that Milos Raonic could get really hot suddenly and do it. Mm. But Yeah, if you guys deserve to work, yeah. Mm. God, I just don't know. And I don't know if Tsitsipas is at full health. Otherwise, I would have picked him. He's the number two seed. Mm. So he's, he's going to be my two picks, and it's probably going to be a little... Um, uh, I would say unconventional, sure, but like not, not necessarily. It's going to be... Yeah, it's, it's true. But 
I, I think the finalists is going, are going to be Medvedev and Nadal. Ooh. And Nadal's going to win it. All time. right. I like that. I think it's interesting. I think Medvedev is just going to pull off like a second like a second win then before, before the end of the year. And he's going to try to find some form and he's going to try to struggle his way into the, the final. And I think he's going to just lose to Nadal. And that's 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 what I think is going to happen. Six four six four in the final. Okay, very specific. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably the most specific I've ever been in the predictions. <laughs> sure. Okay, but uh, keep in mind he's playing Kevin Anderson in the first round, who he just lost to this week. Well, yeah, but Kevin Anderson <laughs> just retired from uh, from one of his matches, so he may, he not, may be not be fully, fully fit. That's the that's yeah the answer I was looking for. Good. <laughs> yeah. Medvedev is a good pick, I guess. If he can get inspired again and get mm. a couple of wins, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. I think is you're just gonna like get inspired, try to like muscle himself to the final. I can't think of anyone better, so I'll just go with that. Ah, <laughs> uh, just gonna go with me. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So let's see. Um. Maybe Nadal's even not going to make it to it's the very final. Possible. I don't think. I think that's highly, highly yeah. improbable. But I think, well, it's always possible. Whenever we make predictions, we yeah. Like as you said, like who could have predicted, for example, Vienna last week? So you know exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, and something could always happen. You know, he could he could get hurt. For fingers crossed, that doesn't happen. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and his first round is. Not so simple against Lopez or Krajinovic. Lopez has four wins over Nadal, Feliciano. That's always been tricky. Yeah. So, yeah. we'll see. And Lopez... And he's, he's, a, he's a fan of fast courts yeah. as well. So, so. Lopez is in the twilight of his career right now, so... It's true. Um, yeah, so... So, yeah, that's that for uh, this week's episode, then. And we'll see how Paris uh, rolls uh, out and how our predictions are going to hold up, even though it's just one yes. prediction, but still. Um, so, yeah, thanks for being here again, Bunch, uh, as you supposed to as the host. Um, but, yeah, um, thank you all for listening and make sure that you follow us in our social media um, at Tennis and Bagels on Instagram, at Tennis un- underscore Bagels on Twitter. Bunch is at v2k on twitter he tweets a lot of stuff and a lot of stats really yeah. fun uh, account to follow and uh facebook as well find us there and whenever we get a youtube channel ready go for that one too but right now it's not really uh usable so don't try to find us there there's nothing for you there <laughs> so yeah <laughs> cool and yeah. yeah on that note yeah thank you so much andre it's fun again this week and uh yeah check us all out leave us a review on itunes share this podcast with your friends and all the usual spiel we give you at the end of every episode (laughs) exactly (laughs) all right see you guys later see y'all bye bye
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.